Welcome to the market sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Chicago, Friday, December 21st. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here with you to take a look at what has been a highly volatile week on Wall Street. As a matter of fact, I'm guessing that traders will be looking forward to some shortened trading days and hours for the next two weeks because of the Christmas and New Year's holidays. We'll talk about the market closings a little bit later, but boy, where do you start? I guess we'll start by going over some of the numbers. First of all, today, Dow Industrial Average down 414 points, 22,445. The S&P 500 down 51 points at 2416. The Nasdaq down 195 points at 6333. And the volatility index at the CBOE up one and three quarter points, ending the day and the week at 30.11. Well, that's not all the numbers we have to share with you, because for the week, the S&P 500 fell 7%, the Dow fell 6.8%, and the NASDAQ fell 8.3%. The S&P 500 has the biggest weekly percentage drop since August of 2011. The Dow has the biggest weekly percentage drop since October of 2008. And the NASDAQ has the biggest weekly percentage drop since November of 2008. uh, It's pretty tough uh, As far as the week is concerned, the NASDAQ Composite confirmed today it is in a bear market for the first time since 2008, underscoring fears that the longest bull run in stock market history could soon be over. The index finished the day down 22% from its August 29th record-closing high, That exceeds the 20% decline considered the threshold for a bear market. The NASDAQ is the first of the three major stock indices to cross that threshold with its drop in less than four months, the latest sign for traders that the bull market that began during the financial crisis a decade ago could be almost over. Several other key indices in recent days have confirmed they were in bear markets, among them the Russell 2000 Small Cap Index, the Dow Jones Transportation Average. The S&P 500, that's the benchmark for U.S. stocks, is not yet in a bear market, though more than 60% of its components are. The S&P 500 is down 17.5% from its record high close on September 20th. The Dow is down 16.3% from its October 3rd record close. And the Nasdaq's fall reflects a sharp move by investors away from what had been the market leaders, the so-called FANG group of five favorite technology and internet stocks. One analyst said, it's the old saying, the generals got hit. 
but indeed it has been a downturn that has rattled a lot of investors as they've watched the 401ks decline. The latest round of selling, which today dragged the NASDAQ down nearly 3%, comes two days after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for a fourth time this year. As the U.S. Central Bank continues to unwind the low interest rate policy that supported stocks for nearly a decade. But just a personal idea here, how long could we continue with the interest rate at the level that we've been seeing in the last decade? In NASDAQ's record-long bull market, which ended with its all-time high close on August 29th, the index gained more than 539% from its post-financial crisis low on March 9th of 2009. Including reinvested dividends, it delivered a total return of more than 611% in that time. And even with the drop since late August, NASDAQ is nearly 400% above its low set in March of 2009, with a total return of more than 456%. See what I'm doing here? I'm trying to find some good news for investors in what has been a volatile down week. So as we look ahead to next week, well, the holidays. As a matter of fact, we'll not trade normal hours on all days for the next two weeks. On uh, Christmas Eve day, we'll be shutting down about noontime, closed on Christmas Day, open for regular hours on Wednesday, and uh, pretty much the same pattern on the New Year's uh, holiday, but the uh, December 31st uh, hours will be normal and no cutback in time. So, not much going on next week, Uh, and as I said, investors and traders probably need a week to, uh, to think about this week. In a week of limited economic activity, investors will watch out for the Consumer Confidence Index, December 27. That's likely to show the index having fallen to 133.7 in December from 135.7 in the previous month. Housing data on the same day is expected to show new home sales having risen to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 562,000 units in November, up from 544,000 in October. And data from National Association of Realtors, scheduled to be released on December 28th, will likely show pending home sales having fallen half a percent in November. Data from the Labor Department on December 27 will likely show initial claims for state unemployment benefits for the week ended December 22nd went up by about 5,000. And it wasn't just the stock market that moved lower. Oil prices fell sharply today to their lowest level since the third quarter of 2017, heading for losses of more than 11% in a week as global oversupply kept buyers away from the market ahead of holidays over the next two weeks. 
Crude has lost ground along with major stock markets. As investors are concerned about the strength of the global economy heading into next year and the prospect of a possible government shutdown in the U.S. has also added to the worries for investors in the marketplace. So, uh, well, let's see if we can find any good news at all. I don't know if it's good news that the Fed raised interest rates again, and maybe they'll slow down interest rate uh, increases in the new year. Nobody knows that for sure yet. But as we take a look at uh, some of the other things, well, let's look at some uh, earnings reports that did help on some of the stocks at least. Walgreens, the drugstore chain, Walgreens Boots Alliance, posted a better-than-expected quarterly profit this week. Accenture also reported the first quarter revenue on Thursday, beating estimates of analysts and traders. And a couple of other stocks. FedEx shares down as the economic slowdown is prompting a profit forecast cut in 2019. So uh, General Mills, oh, by the way, uh, makers of Cheerios, did report a quarterly profit above Wall Street estimates. So once again, we're trying to find some pretty good news, but boy, it's not easy. And uh, the housing industry continues to show a slowdown and is continuing to be challenged although the supply of homes available on the market is beginning to fall more in line with expectations. So we're going to uh, talk about agricultural markets because there was some good news in the world of agriculture this week. Got a farm bill. We'll talk about that. But when we come back, we'll talk to uh, Rich Nelson, who is the chief strategist for Allendale Incorporated, based in McHenry, Illinois. And we'll talk about what's going on in the soybean market, particularly with China buying again and prices falling. So that's coming up when we continue on the market sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Throughout the year, we have the opportunity to visit every once in a while with Rich Nelson, who is Chief Strategist with Allendale Incorporated, based in McHenry, Illinois. And uh, as we approach the Christmas holiday, it's good to have him back on the air. Merry Christmas to you, Rich. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for talking to me. I hope you have a good time here today. Well, several things to talk about. First of all, I did not get details of the cattle on feed or the quarterly pig crop report. So uh, could you go over those numbers and your reaction to the reports that we saw on Thursday? Sure could. So we had these two very big uh, livestock reports on Thursday, uh, Thursday morning. Uh, Thursday afternoon, I should say. In terms of the market impact from cattle on feed, for instance, USDA did suggest that during the month of November, 
that uh, the nation's producers put about 4.9% fewer cattle in the nation's feedlots in November than last year. Uh, very important for us is this marks three months in a row now of lower-than-last-year placements. Uh, this is important for us because this lightens up the seasonal uh, increase in supplies that always hits in the summer. So certainly for the cattle industry, this does give us a good change in supply and therefore maybe some change in discussions about prices here for 2019. So what do you interpret price-wise for 2019 from what you saw in the report Thursday? You know, for the most part, for the year as a whole, we will still have larger supplies, and these larger supplies are still going to slightly uh, slightly uh, be over the demand increase that's set for next year. So we do expect a small, a small drop in prices as a whole, characterized by a few specific points throughout the year of higher prices. So as a whole, we'll see a price range maybe 103 up to 127 for cash cattle prices. For the most part, running about 3 to $4 under 2018. And let's look at the feeder cattle market for a moment, because I hear from those producers out in Arizona saying, what's going to happen to my market? And that's definitely a very big question here for us, and, and we actually don't expect a major price drop-off for the feeder side, at least at this point. One positive aspect of the current situation is, despite the fact we may have some concerns about live cattle prices, we still have to point out that overall feed costs are still going to remain quite low and be relatively close to last year's pricing. So as it stands on the feeder cattle end, we do expect still a lot more interest than probably than needed right now, and therefore some prices uh, at least in the first quarter up ahead, maybe in that 147-148 range. A little change from where futures are sitting at right now. The other Thursday report, quarterly pig crop report, and what was your uh, take on that? And this is actually another piece of good news here for the industry as far as the, uh, as far as the protein supply. Uh, very interesting to point out that while cattle on feed had some moderately lower numbers, as a whole, I would probably suggest a shock was seen as far as the numbers on hogs and pigs. Uh, the USDA suggested the nation's hog herd 1.9% over last year. That was uh, lower than the trade estimate here. And more importantly, it does show that this expansion in the nation's hog herd going on since 2014 is now beginning to be curtailed a little bit here. So still higher supplies, but in this case, uh, not as burdensome as previously thought. And feed prices having the same impact on pork as it does on cattle? And for the most part, certainly true. As it stands right now, our very uh, very inexpensive feed costs give us a, uh, a roughly a $62 per hundredweight lean break-even for hogs. Very important to point out that all of the 2019 futures currently imply prices over that amount. So this will be a profitable year up ahead for producers again. And then we talk about the threat of African swine fever, which seems to be worse in China than maybe we expected when we first heard the numbers. But will that have much of an impact on uh, prices here in the U.S. for pork and hogs? That's a great question, and it's certainly still a very big question for all of us right now, uh, especially since the fact we all assume that these numbers from the Chinese government have been undercounting the true situation. On the other hand, uh, considering the fact that China raises 700 head per year, uh, even taking out a, a million of that doesn't statistically uh, really change things too much. So we have a lot of questions about what's lined up for 2019 U.S. pork exports. Uh, without a Chinese uh, interest, we'll be at a 5% increase over this year. 
with the Chinese interest, that could increase to maybe an 8 to 12 percent increase. So a lot of questions, not yet a clear indication from China, though. And China continues to be the big question mark, whether it's soybeans or whether it's uh, pork or other agricultural products. But, you know, I've been covering the Board of Trade now for about 50 years, and I still don't really understand grain traders' thinking. And let me give you an example. I got an email from a farmer not uh, too many days ago saying, I don't understand why, when we're selling soybeans to China, the market is dropping considerably. He said, two weeks ago, we weren't selling any soybeans to China and didn't know when or if we would ever sell to China again. And yet, I hear traders say, well, the numbers that came out uh, aren't big enough to meet our expectations. What were we expecting if and when we started trading with China? And that really brings it all home uh, very clearly. This is an issue all based on psychology. You're exactly right in saying that this uh, we have seen sales, and we now have about 3 million tons of, uh, of U.S. soybeans on the books now for China, which, like you said, wasn't the case just one month ago. Important for us to consider is the fact that I think a lot of this grain trade incorrectly expected some massive one-time purchase from China, uh, perhaps 10 million tons or some people say even higher, uh, for the most part, that was probably just an unrealistic expectation, uh, and we are certainly paying the price for that uh, false hope right now. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't know we were expecting any big numbers from China, and that's why it came as a surprise when I saw traders talking about the fact that, uh, oh, not, not nearly as large as we thought they would be doing. What do you see in the future with our trade with China as far as both soybeans and corn? You know, in the near future, at least for the next few weeks, we do expect these sales to continue on the soybeans. A few pieced out within every few days, and uh, while currently we're at 3 million tons, we probably will hit up to 5, maybe 6 in the next few weeks by mid-January. So we do expect those sales to continue. One big question, which you did mention on on uh, on the other side of things about corn, certainly is a very valid question. Uh, at this point in time, uh, China is usually not a big buyer of U.S. Uh, of U.S. Uh, corn to start out with, mm-hmm. but uh, the trade expectation for one to three million tons in January, maybe that's a little optimistic in the in the grand scheme of things here. Anything in the farm bill that the president signed this week that would indicate up or down direction uh, for markets? You know, for the most part, uh, we're not going to get too much of a, of a movement just on the farm bill. A lot of questions could be seen in terms of uh, the impact it would have on 2019 plantings. Uh, and as it stands, we didn't see too much in terms of the financial incentive of corn versus soybeans to make that decision on. Uh, it looks like for the most part, producers will be waiting really until spring to make final acreage numbers, especially with so much uncertainty right now. So at Allendale, you always take some surveys. What have you got coming up in uh, the early part of 2019 from the standpoint of surveys of farmers' plans? You know, for the most part, uh, we are hearing a lot of mixed news here, as, as of course we would expect. Uh, however, we are at this time still looking for about a 4 million acre drop-off in corn plantings this year or excuse me, a 4 million acre increase in corn plantings, and about a 5 to 6 million acre drop-off in soybean plant, in soybean plantings. Uh, I hate to say it, but that really doesn't change the supply outlook too much, though, for 2019. Even with lower bean production, we still have higher beginning stocks, 
so total supply for 2019 will be roughly equal to this year, even with our acreage drop-off. Are we finding any other foreign markets that are having an impact? I know we continue to have trade issues with the European Union, and and as far as NAFTA, or whatever they call it now, NAFTA number two is concerned, maybe a little of financial impact uh, for dairy farmers and other people. What are you seeing in these other parts of the world from the standpoint of markets for American agricultural products? I think that the uh, general focus is very clear. Southeast Asia is our current focus right now, and correctly so. And I'm actually very happy to see uh, all kinds of comments from various U.S. ag negotiators who have also understood this as well. So it is Southeast Asia, number one. Number two point will be uh, some uh, some areas in northern Africa, which also get our interest uh, as well here. And a question from another producer in the past couple of weeks or so, dealing with the uh, outlook for livestock and meat exports to other parts of the world. Are are there still countries where we can't get our products in? There certainly are, and a lot of these, uh, some of these may be be local customs or religious uh, movements, some may be political problems there as well. Uh, on the European Union side, which you did mer- I mentioned earlier, they still have resistance against our homo- hormone-treated beef, which is the extreme majority of our product offering. So just on that issue alone, which we don't have movement yet uh, from European uh, negotiators, uh, that's also a, 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 a more or less a, a block for us here. Well, I think we're assured of one thing. We'll need your services for the next year as we try to figure out what traders and markets are doing. And we always appreciate, uh, Rich, your expertise and your uh, colleagues at Allendale Incorporated. You're helpful throughout the year, and we greatly appreciate it. So uh, to your family and all the other families at Allendale, we say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and we look forward to talking to you throughout the new year of 2019. Thank you so much. Certainly appreciate it. Rich Nelson, Chief Strategist with Allendale Incorporated, based in McHenry, Illinois. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, It's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. We did get something done in the world of agriculture this week. We finally finished the Farm Bill after the early start last spring and then missing all of the deadlines until now. We finally met the deadline of getting the new Farm Bill in place, ready for the next five years before the December 31st headline. And uh, President Donald Trump had some fun, I think, when he signed the new farm bill into law at a White House ceremony on Thursday afternoon. He did call it a really tremendous victory for American producers, But, well, I guess typical Trump. He arrived at the ceremony with the theme music from the vintage TV show Queen Acres. Shortly before that, he had tweeted a video clip 
of him singing the song at a 2005 event. So he did have some fun with it. He was surrounded uh, at the desk in the White House with the chairman of the House and Senate Agriculture Committees and also uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. I was with the secretary on Monday for the annual year-end interview, and the secretary never mentioned that he was approaching a birthday. It was his birthday on Thursday, the day that the president signed the farm bill and said, Happy Birthday, Mr. Secretary. Uh, One of the issues that was of concern to a lot of producers, the crop insurance sector, segment of the farm bill and according to those people in the business of providing crop insurance i quote it's been a difficult year for farmers and ranchers from coast to coast but rural america is ending 2018 on a high note with this farm bill the new law keeps crop insurance affordable and widely available for agriculture, and it provides much-needed certainty heading into 2019. President Trump and Secretary Sonny Perdue have been vocal supporters of agriculture, and they helped deliver in a big way for farmers and ranchers with this new law that keeps the crop insurance title very, very strong. And uh, the uh, second round of payments, the mitigation payments because of the trade problems that we've been having, and those problems have certainly got into income for America's farmers, Uh, that too is uh, going to get underway early in the new year. And uh, one other thing. The USDA this week outlined its first ever rule for GMO labeling. It'll be implemented not until 2020, but the USDA laid out its requirements for labeling of genetically engineered or GMO foods. A rule met with praise from some farmers and criticism from consumer groups. Consumers have been pushing for years for greater transparency over what is in their food, and they have been fighting pushback from farmers who fear the labeling would curb demand for genetically engineered ingredients and food companies which said the label changes would be costly and confusing. But the long-awaited details released on Thursday by the USDA came more than two years after lawmakers agreed on the requirements. And the agency has been reviewing feedback from farmers, food companies, and consumers who filed comments earlier this year. Secretary Perdue said this ensures clear information and labeling consistency for consumers about the ingredients in their food. And the standard also avoids a patchwork state-by-state system that could be confusing to consumers. But uh, Andrew Kimbrell, executive director at the Center for Food Safety, the USDA has betrayed the public trust by denying Americans the right to know how their food is produced. Not surprised at that kind of reaction from one side of the entire argument. Well, let's uh, take a look now at uh, closing prices as we wind up the week. 
Uh, wheat today at the Chicago Board of Trade fell nearly 2% after Russia raised its grain export forecast and dampened speculation that tight supplies would prompt curbs on overseas shipments from the world's biggest supplier of wheat. Soybeans dropped to a three-week low as favorable weather boosted crop prospects in North America, and that overshadowed support from renewed Chinese buying of U.S. supplies. And Uh, Let me quickly take a look at that again. We talked about that a little bit with with Rich Nelson. But uh, today, December 21, uh, we sold 222,000 tons of corn, unknown destinations. We sold 115,000 tons of soybeans, unknown destinations. And yesterday, we sold two shipments of corn to Mexico, 373,000 tons and 53,000 tons. And also yesterday, sold 204,000 tons of soybeans to unknown destinations and uh, another 100,000 tons of soybean meal. So, anyway. That was the good news of the week. Still don't understand why the soybean market has fallen ever since we announced the first sale to China. March wheat down 10 cents a bushel. March or January soybeans down 10 and a quarter. And March corn up three and a quarter cents. Well, as happens every week about this time, we're out of time. Again, thank you for joining us. We look forward to this visit every week on The Markets, sponsored by the CME Group.